Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. Are you sure we're essential? Are you really sure? (laughs) You are quarantined with me, Jen. It was Easter Sunday afternoon. It was thunder hailing. It was cold outside. And I was just coming back from dropping off something on a friend's front porch. And I saw the blinking lights. And I thought, no way. There is there's absolutely no way. You've got to be kidding me. Blinking lights. It was a U.S. post office. It was a USPS. It was they were delivering on Easter Sunday in the middle of the thunder hail. And (laughs) they had to deliver to my house. I had a package delivered to me Hmm. on Easter Sunday by my post guy at. I was in the afternoon. It was like Mm -hmm. three o'clock in the afternoon in the middle of the thunder hail. And all I could think of was, wow, thank you. And I'm not even allowed to open the door and say thank you to him. You have to say it on the other side of the glass. (laughs) Thank you. We want to shine the spotlight on the unsung heroes that are helping us in our lives right now. I'm heading into the hospital as a child life specialist. And I just want to give a shout out to my mom who has worked tirelessly to make masks for my department for us to feel safe at work. My mom has been just trying to give us these masks and working hours on end to do it. And she's home alone as my dad died three years ago. So Mm. it's been really hard for me as she's sitting at home. It gave her a purpose, which is great. Mm-hmm. But I just want to make sure that she knows how much we love her and appreciate the masks that she sewed. What's your mom's first name? Pat. 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 We will make sure that Pat gets thanked. And we have several ladies that have called us and told us that they live home by themselves and they've pretty much spent every day, all day making masks. They're amazing. We love them. We are thankful to everyone who's making a difference. At this time. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who don't quite get as big of a spotlight as others. That's true. And we want to hear about those unsung heroes if you have them. We'll shine a spotlight yeah. on them. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about this uh, really cool deal that's being worked out with the Urbandale Community School District where they're going to be able to get families who can't afford internet some Wi-Fi hotspots mm-hmm. and some computers so their kids can do that online learning that they need to if they can't afford to have computers and Wi-Fi. Which is awesome. That's an awesome thing for the school and for Mediacom to be able to work out. But as we were reading that story, I started thinking about the bus drivers Yeah, who are delivering those things to every house. They're going all over town. They are. Yeah. Yesterday, you could see them out. Yeah. Des Moines school system buses and Waukee school system buses delivering Wi-Fi hotspots and computer equipment and things like that. And I think bus drivers are kind of unsung heroes to begin with. Yeah. They're like the first person from school your kids often see every morning before they go on in. And there's a whole bunch of those kids in a big yellow vehicle Mm -hmm. and only one of those school bus drivers. (laughs) So two hour bus drivers and if you are out delivering these Wi-Fi hotspots and computers, thank you so much. Or if you are just waiting to take your kids into school again, thank you for Mm -hmm. what you do. They've gone unsung in the past, I have to say. We never really thought about how important these people were to our lives until all of this happened Mm -hmm. and we realized, wow, you guys make the world go round. Tammy, who's your unsung hero? My husband. 
What's he doing? He not only has worked for UPS for 27 years, but we farm. Oh, so he's wow. A double. <laughs> that, that is double duty right there. He is a double unsung hero. And today's his birthday, too. So. Oh, what's wow. his first name? His name's Paul, and I'm Paul. delivering breakfast birthday pizza to him at UPS right now. <laughs> you are a good wife. So you're telling me that Paul not only delivers my packages to me during this quarantine, but he's also making sure I get fed? Oh, my gosh. The best beef in the world comes oh. from our farm. <laughs> Okay. Your husband is a hero. That's awesome. That's so awesome. And he is. And it sounds like he's pretty blessed to have you two. Well, there's days that, you know, <laughs> when you're working cattle, you're never in the right place at the right time. Any farmer's <laughs> wife will answer that. <laughs> Sometimes this is in short supply, mm-hmm. even when you have lots of things done. In fact, it seems like it's in shorter supply when you have a lot of things to get done. I know. And it feels like being cooped up during this quarantine, my motivation motivation has just been so low lately. Has anybody seen my motivation? And our friend Dr. Heidi has some advice on where to find it. This is a question I get a lot. Dr. Heidi, help me with motivation. I'm out of motivation. And that's really hard because you can't buy that at the store. No. Right? And it's hard to kind of conjure up a motivation if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling lethargic. And so it's really important to shift the conversation away from just motivation to the idea of discipline. And I think discipline is something that we don't talk a lot about. When I was talking with my son about this idea of discipline, he's like, oh, oh, I know what that is. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about self-discipline where we ask ourselves to do hard things. He's used to me asking him to do hard things, right? But it's really this idea of when we're out of motivation, we have to switch and think about, okay, what does it look like for me to ask myself to do hard things that I know I don't want to do that are actually probably really uncomfortable, but I know need to be done anyway? And that's something that we can practice and that we can get better at. Sometimes the resilience of people just amazes me. We are finding all sorts of virtual ways to stay connected. Yeah, there was a virtual triathlon recently. You know... (laughs) If there was ever any kind of triathlon that I could do, (laughs) it might be a virtual one, but probably not. Yeah, there was a big one that was supposed to happen, like all of these national triathletes were going to do it, obviously postponed due to COVID-19. So they got, you know, those like bikes that hook up to the internet and you can kind of race all your friends on the exercise bikes. Sure. Yeah. Those exist, huh? They were going to do some sort of virtual triathlon involving those bicycles. But what about the swimming and the running part? I'm not sure how it all worked out. Okay. All right. I do but know that You know that there was biking involved. Exercise bikes were involved. Okay. This was like on TV. There were commentators. Oh, really? Yeah. This was a big deal. This was a really big deal. And this woman who was one of the favorite athletes was competing. She was doing really well. And her husband thought that he would be a very supportive husband. Okay. And so he went and got some of the triathlon awards she'd won, like some trophies and some medals, and he was going to put them up behind her. So everybody looking yeah, could see. as her webcam's up, people could see. Accomplishments. Well, hubby tripped over the power cord oh, to the exercise no, bike. No, no, no. Severed no. her connection. No! To the triathlon, all of a sudden she goes dark on the digital conference. And gets kicked out of the race. She fell off the leaderboard completely. So when she signed back on to have a meeting with the commentators, she made her husband stand next to her holding a cardboard sign that says, it's my fault. (laughs) 
Okay, so we were talking about the well-meaning husband who mm-hmm. managed to knock his wife out of a national virtual triathlon by kicking out a power cord. And Adam has a very important question about virtual triathlons. How do you compete in a virtual triathlon when the first event is usually swimming? I'm not sure how it all worked out. How do you virtually swim? Well, if you're virtually swimming, you probably don't even need water. Just splashing around in the tub for a while. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. You put on a Fitbit and you fill up your tub and it counts your steps with every splash. Yeah. (laughs) In that case, my dog would sure to be involved in that one. (laughs) Hey, Catherine, have you had a virtual meeting? Oops. The church I'm going to is having a virtual Bible study for the ladies. And I actually was supposed to be leading this two chapters of the book. Okay. I'm on our WebEx and all of a sudden my computer just goes blank. Oh no. And I'm like, oh no. And so I'm quick rushing upstairs, kicking my husband off his laptop. <laughs> so of course he doesn't do any virtual stuff, so I had to download the web app. Of course. Oh. Yeah. You're watching that progress bar go like two miles an hour. Okay. Exactly. And so then I'm on and I'm saying to them, okay, can you see me? And they said, your hands. So now I'm unhooking his laptop oh and rewiring goodness. it. So I <laughs> but it was just like, we're people all right. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. There is a lot more sniffing going on in my kitchen. Sniffing, sniffing all the kitchen stuff. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I bet you I'm not the only one because here's the thing. We're only supposed to go to the grocery store when it's essential, so we try to stock up a little bit, and we try to not go out every time we need one ingredient. You know what? We did like dig through our pantry and See? find some stuff that we forgot we had. A lot of that's happening right mm-hmm. now in kitchens across the country, nay, the world, where people making dinner are like, okay, what do I got? You know, oh. Let's pull this out and you do the sniff test because you can't sometimes you can't even find the expiration date on that. Well, that leads me to a question, though. Okay, I mean, everybody's got a way to figure it out. And and I happen to use the sniff test. Mm -hmm. But should I be completely ignoring the date on these things? I don't I mean, you see those and you're like that. That date's got to be there for a reason. (laughs) Right. Like someone knows what's up. But everybody has a rule regarding the date that is on that food that has been in your pantry or your kitchen for a long time. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it becomes essential during quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) So it's of the dairy family and Mm -hmm. um, it goes in my morning coffee and I pulled it out and I was like, whoa, (laughs) the date was a while ago. But I opened up the little carton and I did the... The sniff test. Uh, make sure it works out. and Smelled did, fine. So you went with it. And it was fine. So how do you think about expiration dates? Hard, fast rule or guideline? If it doesn't look right, it goes in the garbage. Otherwise, it's fair game. <laughs> so it, this is not even a sniff test. Just it's on site. Sight. My refrigerator is freezing milk. Regardless of what I temperature I set it at, it freezes the milk. So huh. I figure the milk is good for at least a month. Yeah. Because it's frozen. See, her refrigerator is like yeah. literally in quarantine mode. It's just yeah. helping her out by freezing the milk when it's in there. I This is probably not backed by science, but I figure if something is frozen or if I cook it, it just kills any bad germs. Sure, Taylor. You you go like, with if that. I, if I just microwave this for long enough, it'll be pasteurized. Because nobody ever got sick off a of cooked chicken. Nope. <laughs> Never happened. I haven't. (laughs) I have. 
So what's the test at your house when it mm. comes to uh, <clears throat> food that's been around for a long time? Is it the sniff test? Is it the sight test? Is it the expiration dates? In my house, we have a variety of issues with dates. I am a sniffer, and my oldest son says, oh, okay, I trust you because you have dog nose, Mom. Dog nose. (laughs) (laughs) And my youngest son says, did you make anything with it past the date in it? Oh, wow. Wow. He's an absolute strict date person. How do you settle that? Like, who who gets the say in if we're going to eat this with expired ingredients? I do if the youngest son isn't around to uh, ask me questions. <laughs> I'm kind of curious now. I feel like going through my pantry and my kitchen and finding all the things that I can eat yeah. that have, quote, expiration dates on them just to feel like a rebel. What's the oldest thing in there? Two months ago, I found a can of sweetened condensed milk that was from 2009. I have a can of peppers that I don't remember buying. (laughs) Tom, do you believe in expiration dates? I think that's largely just a suggestion. Just a suggestion. (laughs) Just the other day, my wife said, we should have oatmeal, but we don't have any. And I looked in the cupboard. I'm like, sure we do. It's just expired in 2018. (laughs) But it's right out. How bad could it be? Did you eat it? No, no, no. She wouldn't let me, but I really wanted to try. I say you try. Go home and find them and try. She hasn't thrown them away yet. Well, she kind of made me, so I'm trying to sneak them out of the trash can. (laughs) I mean, once it's made, when it's got fat in it, but if it's just the oats. If you make it by boiling. Boiling it in water, boiling stuff makes things healthy. (laughs) All the germs are like, no, not boiling water. My one weakness, 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Please write a cookbook, and that would be the (laughs) boiling stuff. Boiling stuff makes it healthy. (laughs) Makes it healthy. You put your chocolate cake in boiling water, all the bad stuff gets boiled right out of it. You have a boiled chocolate cake. (laughs) Okay, I need to be really, really honest with you. I had a rough day yesterday. Yeah. This is all really starting to get to me. And yes, I'm an extrovert. And yes, I miss hugging people. But I have a senior mm-hmm. in high school, you know, and the realization is becoming clearer and clearer that the rest of this year and all of the milestones are probably either going to be delayed or changed or gone. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a hard day. And so who do you talk to? <laughs> When you have a hard day. Well, I talked to Taylor, but I also thought, you know, Taylor, let's talk to our pastor. Our pastor recap preached an awesome message on Easter Sunday about the purpose of pain in the life of a Christian. (laughs) And so we gave recap a call and said, "Okay, how do Christians look at suffering different from everyone else? Yeah, man, I even preface it by saying that all of us struggle with this as much as we can say all the right things. I think there's a radical difference between our theoretical theology and our functional theology. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is just me, me speaking for myself. I lie to myself and believe that my theoretical theology is my functional theology mm. until my theoretical suffering becomes reality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as like actual suffering hits, that's when I find myself scrambling a little bit to hold on to what I actually believe. Mm. And that is truly when that refiner's fire, when that fire is purifying away some of that theory and leaving you with only what is genuine. And so I think, you know, in some ways I'd say 
all Christians have what it takes to suffer well. We all can read the stories of, you know, Fox's Book of Martyrs and see how courageous they were, even being persecuted for their faith, being burned at the stake. I mean, you read it, some of them have hilarious jokes as they're going towards their martyrdom. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of courage that they held. But that doesn't get forged simply once you're suffering. Actually, the suffering is what purges you of some of the excess and Mm. leaves you with nothing but your core central faith. And at least in my life, I've seen that the closer I am to the Lord Jesus Christ before I get into the suffering, the better I suffer well. It's actually when I'm like really, really distant that it's almost like the suffering kind of draws me back into my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm able to suffer well in the future. For me, at least, it feels at times like it's all over the place. And I don't know when I'm going to respond, quote unquote, well, and when I'm not going to until the suffering hits. And then Jesus reveals all. I mean, I I think about the passage in James that talks about you actually get to rejoice when you go through hard times because Jesus uses that to draw you to himself. I love that passage. (laughs) I'm so glad you brought that passage up because that that text has spoken to me in so many ways. I was actually preaching that text for one of our college ministries. And as I was dissecting the text, so the word that he uses, he says, count it all joy. And it's the same word used there that's used in Romans chapter 6. Like, I think it's verse 11 or 12 where he says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to righteousness. But the word used there is simply a word for lead. That's all it is. So what they're saying in those texts is, is it's not that suffering isn't real. It's not that James is saying, believe that there is no suffering and only joy. But rather he's saying, let the leading thought in your mind be joy, hmm. even though suffering is a reality. So it's something more beautiful than I think any other faith can give you, which will almost like want you to say, well, suffering isn't real. I just have to look past it. It's not that bad. And you start lying to yourself and say, no, 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 it is that bad. But think about the greatness of what Jesus Christ has done and allow that to not make your suffering disappear. But allow for that to be the leading thought, even though you still have suffering and you're experiencing pain. And brother, that has been Mm. just something I've been even working with my family through. Just like, what's our leading thought? It's true. Pain hurts. It really is suffering. But what is going to be our leading thought? Let our leading thought be joy. That's beautiful. So Recap, I have a two-part question. Number one, as we mostly sit in our, you know, comfortable homes with our families around us, this is an uncomfortable time. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange time. It's an uncertain. That's the word that I keep hearing used to describe our time. Do you think this qualifies as suffering, number one? And number two, is this a pivotal moment for believers if it is indeed suffering? Wow, man, those are two phenomenal questions. Uh, to your first one, one of my favorite texts, Psalm 103 I just got to hear it, so I'm going to just read this. He says, uh, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his commandments. Now, we look at that part and we're like, okay, this is awesome. His steadfast (laughs) love is great. Well, if you just reverse, like just a few verses before that, he talks about what kind of steadfast love it is. So verse 13 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
that part of the text reminds me that no matter what my suffering is, God sees it and empathizes. Mm. God doesn't do like we do, which is like, well, you know, this isn't as bad as some people are going through. That's not what God does. Mm. God is able to look at each individual suffering, whether it's simply the loss of a job or it's the depth of persecution being burned at the stake. God is able to look at each individual suffering because we're his kids and empathize. With my kids, their suffering is just different to me. Like I uniquely see their suffering mm-hmm. in a different way. So another child can be bleeding. And I'm like, ah, we're at the park. They just fell off the monkey bars. They're bleeding. I'm like, <laughs> who do I go find? I hope uh, someone's around. Where's their parents at, yeah. right? And you, you want to get involved, but you don't really want to get involved. You know what I'm saying? But let my daughter, no scratch. I can't even see it, right? Say, ouch. <laughs> I'm running to her aid. <laughs> I mean, booking like, oh, my gosh, are you dying? My girl, like, what's going on? And God says, that's how I love my, my children. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love them so much that I'll hear even the slightest ouch. So, indeed, in the eyes of God, this is a deep suffering. No matter what you're going through, God not only sees it, but empathizes. Wow. And so then that leads to the second reality of, is this a pivotal moment for the church? Certainly. This is one of those moments where if God sees us that way, and loves us and has that kind of compassion to hear our littlest ouch, then we need to show the world the kind of love and compassion God has to hear their littlest ouch, mm. to be the hands and feet of God for the people around us who don't know that love yet and have not yet experienced the love of a father like that. And so it's critical, honestly, that as we're on social media, which we got to in some ways be on social media, yep. that we're very careful that we paint a picture of compassion and not criticism. Amen. Like it is a critical time for the church to paint a picture of compassion and not criticism because the world is watching. And as they look in on the church, they're making the assumption, if this is how the church functions, this must be how Christ functions. Mm. So what do we want? What kind of thought, what kind of perception do we want the world to be left with? Mm. That of criticism of criticizing the president or criticizing this or criticizing that or criticizing how these people are, are arguing with the president, criticism, or just that of compassion, thinking about those who are suffering and wanting to respond. And I think we have to, have to, have to be a people that are overwhelmingly compassionate in this moment. And I'm telling you straight up, I'm hopeful, yo. Hmm. I do think that the church is reaching out in ways that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And I am confident that when we return to being able to gather together, we're going to see baptisms, mm. salvations, stories, all types of testimonies like we've never seen before. I'm like gearing up for a brand new revival. <laughs> uh, That's in, awesome. In that Real gives me rap, goosebumps. So. Yeah. There is a sort of like, almost like pump up factor of like, God has put a need directly in front of us and you can't get around mm. it. And it's like the easiest opportunity to reach out and make a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And one of the easiest ways is text messages. Um, I've been able to text the most random people in my phone book because it's like, you you can literally go through your phone and be like, yo, I was just thinking of you, saw you on my phone and just wanted to text you. How you doing? Mm. How can I pray for you? 
and nobody's going to think that's weird right now. No. Like, nobody. And nobody's going to say, hey, let's go out for coffee, because they can't. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't have to worry about filling your calendar up with a bunch of coffees. Right. Exactly. So all you introverts can go ahead and text people. It's okay now. That's why Recap's feeling safe to do that. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. That's awesome, man. So you think, uh, Rahab, God doesn't waste anything. I think I've heard that 27 yeah. times since this all began. God doesn't yeah. waste anything. He's not going to waste this opportunity. He's preparing Amen. us for something. Amen. Yeah. And I was talking to a brother and just recognizing this, like God is so much more sovereign than even a God we can imagine. Because mm. even imaginary gods, like if you were to just think in your mind, take like 10 seconds to think of the best version of a God you can think of. And we already know those imaginary gods, right? Because they're these false religions. At the best, we come up with a God who is able to work with good and work in spite of sin and suffering. But that's not what our God boasts of. Our God does not only work with good and work in spite of sin and suffering, but our God is able to work sin and suffering for good. (laughs) And the cross of Jesus Christ proves that, right? Like, the greatest suffering ever experienced is that of Jesus Christ on the cross. The greatest evil ever committed was putting the innocent man, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And the greatest act of good was Jesus Christ (laughs) on the cross. So there is no amount of sin and suffering that God doesn't just work in spite of, but use, and and that's that Romans 8, to work out all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And so, indeed, God is using this moment like he always has to work something good for his people. I absolutely believe that. Amen. Yeah. I feel like we just got a free sermon. Yeah. (laughs) We should pay you or something. That's really what this was about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> man recap we appreciate you so yeah, much thank you you very, are very such much. an encouragement absolutely absolutely thank you guys you all take right. care you take care all right you too yep. take care. we're taylor and jen <laughs> you're so excited about Let's get this. some important music going here oh no really this is this, is, this matters jen this does not matter. we're doing important post easter work here i honestly think this is going to ruin my taste buds for the rest of my life uh maybe just for the next 45 <laughs> minutes we'll see <laughs> i have three flavors of of peeps. Okay. I'm making Jen eat them and I'm eating them with them for solidarity. This is gross. So, Jen, uh, which which one do you want to start with? Which one looks the most appetizing to you? The most appetizing? Yes. Um, probably this middle one. The it's middle got a little one. crunchies. It, this one's actually a peep. It is. Yeah, it's okay. the it's the duck model. This is the Yeah. It's a duck? Is this it was a, duck? a chicken. It's probably It's a chick. It's a peep. It's a duck. It's a peep. It's, it's a an, chick. An Easter duck. It's a <laughs> They say peep. So weird. So okay, what do you? Um, so this peep is kind of a pale yellow mm-hmm. color, and it's got little crunchies all over it. Yep. What What does it smell like to you? Sugar. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> all right. Let's Let's take a bite together. Okay. Hmm. What are you tasting? Sugar. You tasting sugar? Sugar and flavoring. Well, what flavoring do you think it is? Birthday cake. You're right. Yay! Congratulations. Yay me! I'm already better at, than you were at tasting Oreos on the air. Well, okay, we didn't have to bring that up. <laughs> can't believe you talked me into this. I can't believe you said yes. <laughs> it but was I'm a moment thrilled. of weakness 
right before we left on our Easter vacation. That's I said, why. hey, if I can find multiple flavors of Peeps, will you eat every flavor of Peep I can find, Jen? And I was like, sure, as I was running out the door yeah. saying bye. She didn't think I'd find anything, but I found three Peep flavors. Uh, which which one looks best to you I next, I thought Jen? they weren't making Peeps anymore. I literally thought that they had stopped manufacturing these things. I think they're still rolling through the ones they finished in 95. <laughs> so, which... You get to choose again, Jen. Which which Peep are you going to consume? Okay, well, the, the purple rabbit looks the most appetizing okay. of these last two. I can't even tell what color that third one is. Oh, well, that, we'll, we'll get to the third one. That's not a color in nature. Let's, uh, let's, let's do the purple okay, rabbit so then. so this is a purple rabbit. Yep. Are you biting his ears or that the bottom? That was my goal. I was going to go one ear. <laughs> one? For, first, th- yeah. Okay. I'm doing two. You're doing two ears. Mm-hmm. What do you taste him? Okay, they don't even smell. Doesn't don't smell even anything? smell like anything. This one is pretty bland. It's a very delicate sweetness, really. It tastes like a marshmallow. It literally tastes like a big, fluffy campfire marshmallow. Well, you're right, because that's the original flavor. Oh, is that what a peep tastes like? <laughs> have, you, have you never eaten a peep? As the Lord is my witness, today is the first time I've ever Are eaten an Easter Are you serious? <laughs> You've been bad-mouthing them all this time. Well, I could tell. I have been realizing more and more how much I love King David in the Bible. <laughs> he didn't do anything halfway, right? Oh, no. Like, when he made a mistake, he made a really mistake. Really made mistakes. When he talked about how he felt, he talked about how he felt. But when he looked at God, he saw God for who God was. And I think that's something that many of us right now are hoping yeah. we are learning during this pandemic. And as we read through the Psalms, we see a guy who doesn't try to pretend like the world is peachy keen and wonderful, mm-hmm. but also a guy who's able to hold that view of the world and see a God who's good and trustworthy. What's the psalm today? Today's psalm is Psalm 61. He says, Oh God, hear my cry for help. Pay attention to my prayer from the remotest place on earth. I call out to you in my despair. Lead me up to a rocky summit where I can be safe. Indeed, you are my shelter. A strong tower that protects me from the enemy. I will be a permanent guest in your home. I will find shelter in the protection of your wings. For you, O God, hear my vows. You grant the reward that belongs to your loyal followers. Decree that your loyal love and faithfulness should protect me. Then I will sing your name continually as I fulfill my vows day after day. I was listening to you read the verses in Psalm 61, which is a spectacular psalm Mm -hmm. right now, because it's easy to relate with the way that David feels. Yeah. Um, now I'm I'm sure his circumstances, you know, in comparison, which we're not really supposed to do, were rather more dire than ours. But he says in the psalm that he is calling to God from the remotest place on earth. Doesn't that hit home? It hits home because, Taylor, I think sometimes the remotest place on earth is my heart and my soul. Hmm. Sometimes when you get really low, like I was two nights ago, I might have been sitting in the comfort of my own bedroom in my little house, but my soul and my heart felt like the remotest place on earth. And I, I kind of think that might be what David's referring to. I don't think he was down at the bottom of a, you know, an ocean somewhere yeah. where we would consider the remotest place on earth. I think he's talking about his heart. 
and his soul. And sometimes you feel so far away from God. I did two nights ago. Why, you've totally left us here, God. Yeah. What are you doing? I feel so far away from you. You can cry out from that place and he will hear you. This has been the Taylor and Jen podcast. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.